If you find yourself as a parent sitting across the table from your child's teacher, maybe in parent-teacher conferences, or you receive a phone call from your parent from your child's teacher who says, maybe you should look into ADD medication or even ADHD medication, or your daughter's really struggling in math, she's having a really hard time focusing, or your son's breaking out. He's having some bad behavior the last few weeks. I don't know if there's something happening at home or what it could be, but there's something going on in his life. If you find yourself in these shoes, this is for you. Carrie Kling is a master at helping parents find the cause of their child's children's struggle, whether it be food additives, toxicity, mold in the home. There's a reason why your child is struggling. And me, like all parents, we want our kids to be successful in anything that they do. So let's jump in and let's learn how we can help our children live a more happy and successful life by removing any blockages that they may have causing the bad behavior, the struggle in the classroom, the ADD, Seriously, this is for all parents. So don't forget to share the episode. Go give us a review on the podcast and let us know what you think. 21 days. That's all you need. Come join us March 15th and join us for the 21 day boot camps that will help you transform the way you feel. Yes, in just 21 days. Why? Because mama's got to feel good too. Yes, we want our kids to be successful, which this episode is all about. But I want mamas to be successful too. I don't care if you've been told it's because you're a mom. It's not. There's a boot camp for you to overcome your chronic fatigue, PCOS, endometriosis, thyroid issues, anxiety and depression. Come join us for the five, one of those five 21-day boot camp starting March 15th. The link to join is in the comments below. See you soon. Welcome to the Beyond the Diagnosis podcast with me, Dr. Kylie. We are sitting in with Carrie Kling, who is a mother of 19-year-old twin boys, and she is a master at helping us moms and parents in general learn how to teach our kids and feed our kids so that they can perform the best, so that they can learn their best as well. So Carrie, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's my honor to be here. Yeah. Okay. So Carrie, you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got started into these helping us parents out. Sure. It's my pleasure. I was one of those people when I was five years old, I knew that I wanted to be a teacher and I never, never veered from that decision. So I became a teacher 30 plus years ago and I was in the education field and I knew that I wanted to help other people. I didn't want to just impact the children in my class, although that was a huge uh, goal of mine, but that I really, really wanted to learn as much as I could about everything about children, about parenting, and how could I help the world? 
so after years and years in the classroom and years of then being a national and international education consultant, teaching families and working with educators all about how our children learn, all about the brain and the body and how they work together for the best outcomes in learning and behavior, I ended up getting a degree, a master's degree in counseling, and then I started having a private practice. I had a, a regular office. Hello, welcome to COVID. If you can see the background, you can see that it looks like I'm in my laundry room. The laundry room is actually also my office um, and it works. I, I put everything in the online space when the shutdown happened and I've just been moving forward in, in working with families one-on-one -on -one in, a, in a group that I have online called Very Important Parents and uh, my goal is to reach as many families as I can because, you know, we learn when we're growing up and as, as adults, we learn about maintenance. We learn about our car needs to be maintained, our home needs to be maintained. The things in our home, we put new filters in our air conditioners and et cetera, et cetera. But yet we don't really talk about maintenance with our parenting and maintenance with our families. And so many times we, we don't go get help until the problem is already a crisis situation. And my goal is to say, let's take everything that we know about our bodies and our brains, learning and behavior. And that's where this comes, our topic tonight, today about food and, and diet and how that impacts learning and behavior comes in. But how can we take the best of what we know and use it as a preventative measure so that we can have more happiness and joy as a parent, so that we can enjoy our kids um, you know, Dr. Kylie, I had someone in a private session say to me not that long ago, you know, I, I keep thinking maybe I'll enjoy my kids when they're older, when they're adults, because mm, it was just so that's a heartbreaker. Tough. It's a heartbreaker. And the reason I share that is it doesn't have to be. The good news about that is this particular parent that I worked with, she doesn't feel that way anymore. And so that's why I'm so honored to be a part of your podcast, because it allows me to share ways, patterns of behavior, things we can do with our children with diet and health to help them be as healthy, positive, um, and have positive outcomes at home and at school. I think that's that's key because not only do we want to have a strong relationship with our kids, but we want to, our, we want to see our kids successful and no matter yeah. what they do. And if they're fighting or brain problems, ADD, ADHD, anxiety, depression. I mean, they're giving kids antidepressants at six years old right now. Oh, I know of a four-year-old that was put on that. And the mother came to me and said, can you help me? And I, I said, I will do, I'm not a doctor, but I said, I will do everything I can. And we were able to get that child um, off of ADD medication. And I have a million stories like that, just looking at behavior. Um, I'm sorry, looking at what they're putting in their bodies and what's happening. Um, would you like me to give you some examples of Please, that? I was just going to say, let's go into what you, what you did with that mom, what you do with other moms. Cause I know so many kids, especially like in my area in my church group, I work with, uh, eight to 10 to 12 year olds boys. And this specific group of boys I have right now are tough. They are tough and they've got ADD, ADHD. They, sometimes they take their medication, sometimes they don't. And every time I see them, I'm just like, ah, if you could just have a little bit better food to feed your brain, yeah. it would do wonders for well, them. 
Let me begin, if I may, with a personal story, because I think it, it screams a thousand messages, maybe a million messages. Um, and then if I may, I'd like to share a little bit about how things have changed. You know, I went to college a long time ago, you know, 40 years ago, and I want to share some statistics with you. But I always think it's important when people are speaking, if they can give examples that they experience themselves, not just of, well, I know this person who. And so I want to, I want to start by sharing with your audience and, and the people in my group that will eventually be seeing this as well about a true story. It happened um, in the 80s. I was teaching and I, I didn't know a lot about nutrition then. I didn't, I just, it wasn't an awareness that I had. So I didn't grow up with this. And I was on the pretense that, you know, if I drink enough diet Dr. Pepper a day, I won't be hungry, so I won't eat, so I'll lose weight. Well, we all know how ridiculous that is, correct? Well, one day out of the blue, I developed a migraine headache. And I had, I, I'm not a person that's a very headachey person. I rarely ever get a headache. And it kept getting worse and worse. And it got to the point where I had to be in a dark room. I couldn't work. Lights off, you know, cold compress on my on my eyes. And if anybody even moved the bed, I felt like I was going to go through the roof. It was bad. Very long story short, I went to doctor after doctor after doctor who kept doing blood work and MRIs and kept saying, you know, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. Maybe you better go talk to somebody. And at that moment, I knew I better figure this out myself because I, I, I'm not getting any outside help. Well, there was a woman who changed my life who happened to be a mother of a student in my class that year who was working on her master's degree at ASU in nutrition. And she called me at home and she said, what is going on with you? Are you okay? Because I would go to school, you know, teaching for one day and then have to be home in bed for two days. And then I'd try to go another day and I'd have to be home in bed for three days. I didn't have a life. It was miserable. And she asked me the question that changed my life. She asked me, are you eating or drinking any diet products? And my reaction was, well, yeah. I mean, everybody was back then, right? They still and are. I, and still are. But back then, there was, not that this is any better for us, saccharin that was in the, in the diet drinks. And apparently, I mean, I'm sure it did bother me. I just wasn't aware of it. It, it wasn't good. But she said to me, you know, it was like overnight, everything switched to this product called aspartame. And the, new, the, the brand name of it is NutraSweet. And she said, do you eat or drink any of that? And I said, oh my gosh, I drink, you know, I'm lying there in bed drinking my diet Dr. Pepper. Not very smart. Anyway, she said, I want you to try this. I want you to try staying off of anything that might have that in it. Even if you're not sure, if it's not a whole food, don't eat it and see if your headaches go away. Well, within 24 hours, I felt like myself again. I didn't have any headaches and I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. And so I took, I still had some in the refrigerator and I took a few sips of it and like that, it was back. It was back. And I started doing research. I thought, what in the world is going on? And so I researched, this was pre-internet. I went to the library, I got books, I, I did everything I could. And what I learned in a nutshell is that aspartame is made up of three molecules and one of them is methanol alcohol. And the methanol alcohol 
your body is incapable of breaking the methanol alcohol down. It's stored in your major organs forever. And there's a wonderful book. I'm sure there are books that are more updated, but the book that, that really gave me a lot of information was by Dr. H, I think it's Dr. H.J. Roberts, and it's called Aspartame, A Concerned Doctor's View. And I've talked with so many people since then. In fact, I've learned in Australia, they don't let, this used to be, I don't know if it still is, I'm assuming it is, that they don't allow pilots to fly if they've had any aspartame within 48 hours of flying. Now, the reason I bring this up is that is just such a minor change. And, and let me just say, some people say, well, it doesn't bother me. I, I have it all the time. But here's the catch with not only this particular additive, but dyes, preservatives, all of these other things. It's, a, it's about the toxic load. And so yes. you might have a little bit and you say, well, I feel fine. I'm, you know, I'm fine. But it's like that pot that boils over. It gets to that point and then boom, and everybody's level of a toxic load is different. And so I want to bring that back to kids now. When I started teaching, the rate of autism was one out of every 250,000. Think about that. I went to college in the late 70s. I'm aging myself, but this is, you know, I'm all about authenticity and the truth. That's when I went to college and when one of my degrees is in special education. I have a double degree in elementary ed and special ed and a master's in counseling. And it's all related. One out of every 250,000 kids were identified as autism. And I know there are a lot of people say, oh, well, we just didn't identify it as clearly and the criteria was, you know, wasn't as concise. You know what, all of that might be true for you know, a small percentage of it, but let's look at the bigger picture. Right now, well, in 2020s, last year, the rate of autism in the United States of America is one out of 54. And I have actually seen, that's from the CDC, I have actually seen some other statistics of one in, thir in 33. So right. whatever it is, it's bad. It's well, bad. It's not just autism. It's every disease. It's, exactly. And so my philosophy even when I was in college, is all has always been start with the body. Start with the body. And I've worked with thousands of families, thousands and thousands of families. Start with the body. First, can your child see correctly? And, and you know, the eye test that they do at the doctor's office, just the, the straight ahead or at the nurse's office at school is not enough. It's not enough. Really, another quick thing. And, and let me just share with you my, my experience and my expertise of understanding the brain and the body and the brain, that if I can put an emotional hook to something that I'm trying to teach your, your group or anybody, you have about a 95% better chance of remembering it as opposed to me just giving you the information. So remember that when you're trying to teach your children, if you can put a story to it, a poem, a rhyme, they will have a much better chance of remembering it. So it's not about my story. It's about the context of how I want to share this information. I, I always wanted to turn like all of my textbooks and all of my crap that I had to shove into my head and spit back out in a week or two or whatever it was in school. I always wanted to turn everything to music because music, you can, you can remember it so right. easy and rhymes like I'll read I'll read books with my little three-year-old every night. It's part of our bedtime routine. And I, I've got all of his books memorized. Because exactly. one, redundancy, but then two, they rhyme. So if I can't really quite see the words because we had the lights dim, I can still read the book because I know. Yeah. 
Exactly. And our brains are pattern-seeking devices. And so anything with a pattern, a rhythm, a rhyme, excuse me, is they're going to remember it. And so one of the gifts, in fact, you know, I could give you a million examples. And then I want to get back to the other story about the eyesight. Um, one of the other stories is, um, you know, not a story, but, you know, let's say that you're 80 years old and you haven't been around a little kid. You haven't said Humpty Dumpty, you know, in 45 years, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? If someone asks you to say it, you're going to remember it because your brain is a pattern seeking device. And that's how we learn things, you know, math patterns. Um, that's the best way to teach, you know, beginning mathematics, anything. It's all about a pattern. You're absolutely right. And the, the story example that you just gave is a great one. So even with my own child, I have two children. So here's my own son, right? I, I teach all of this. I work with families. I've been doing this for 30 plus years. He got to be a second grader and he was having some behavioral problems, mostly in what he was doing is math. And the teacher called me in and she said, you know, I've seen his pretest scores. He knows this. He just has a bad attitude about it. And I thought about it for a moment. And I said, you know, I understand the bad attitude about it, but there's a reason. There's got to be a reason that this is happening. Yeah. And so it's not your I, kid. It's not the personality like this. Exactly. And yes, so I when, agree. I, when I work with parents, either one-on-one -on -one or in my group, I always say, what's the root cause? We have to figure out the root cause when children act out, if they have quote unquote moody behavior, you know, whatever, there's always a reason. It could be something as simple as I need some protein. You know, I, it could be something very simple or it could be something more complex. Yeah. So anyway, she kept telling me this and I kept thinking, okay, what could this be? What could this be? Well, I was actually teaching a math class at the time after school and my son had come to it and he was writing things down. And then he would look up at the chart paper that I had with the problem on it. It was a, like a math game. And then he would look back down and I could see that the way he lined up his, his two digit numbers was off. Like two were here and then two were here. And I knew I knew in a second because I had seen it before in my classes when I was teaching. It's not uncommon. So I took him to the ophthalmologist and I knew what I knew that she was going to tell me this. When children, especially boys, are younger, the muscles, and I don't remember the names of, of the muscles, but the muscles that help your eyes track and go side to side and up and down are not always as developed. And so what I learned from this ophthalmologist was that he had that same problem. And so when he would look up, he could do the problems fine if they were in a book or in, you know, on his desk. When he would look up, see the problem, look down to write it down, and he would have two visual fields. By the time he waited for those two visual fields to come together into one, he did the problem and he would look up and they were three problems ahead. Huh. That's why he was getting frustrated. That's why he was having an attitude. All of us would have an attitude. And so it starts with the body. Can the child see correctly? Can they hear correctly? And then I always look to, with parents, are there any food allergies? That's the first yes. thing. There was, it's, it's all over the internet. You have to look for it. But there's a wonderful, one of the most powerful, powerful shows I've ever seen is an old Dr. Phil show, Phil Donahue, not, not the Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil Donahue, not Dr. Phil Donahue show. And if you look up Phil Donahue, fine gold diet, F-E-I-N-G-O-L-D, 
you will see one of the most amazing pieces of video in terms of child behavior that you will ever, ever see. And what it is, they showed video initially of this little boy. I'm, I'm thinking he was maybe five or six. I don't remember exactly his age. And they showed video of him at home. And when I tell you he was off the wall, screaming, yelling, throwing his body against the wall, out of control, I am not exaggerating. You can see for yourself. And this mother got a hold of, I don't remember if she got a hold of the person or the book, uh, Dr. Doris Rapp, R-A-P-P, who looks at a lot of things with health. I, I'm not sure if she's um, still with us. I think she, she'd be in her 90s now if she's, if she's still with us. An amazing, amazing woman. And she talked about wheat allergies, gluten, and how some people cannot... They just cannot ingest it. It's almost like poison. And I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to go into the whole thing about leaky gut and, and all of that because um, that's not my area of expertise of how that happened. I can. You can do that. So mm -hmm. let me share the rest of the story, and then I'd love you to comment on that. As soon as the mother got him off of wheat and this, this book, the, the Feingold Diet, it's still used, where it systematically takes you off of certain foods and then you can record the behavior or the learning. And then you systematically put the child back on certain foods. When I tell you this child got off of gluten, it was night and day. Yeah. Night and day. So if you would like to share about the, the, the gluten, and, and it's not just the gluten, because some people can have gluten in other countries, but not here. Sometimes it's the chemicals that are put on the wheat. Um, in terms of some pesticides and things, and, and that's really the culprit. But go ahead. I'd love to hear your explanation. Yeah, so when it comes to gluten specifically, it's hard because if you say, hey, back in the 1800s, you could eat gluten just fine. Nobody had a problem. Wheat was, you know, you don't hear about all these these crazy sicknesses, these weird thing, gluten sensitivities. Well, that was way before what they do to gluten now. Right. And how it's genetically modified and preserves it preservatives and mm -hmm. chemicals and the whole, I'm, the list goes on and on and on about what we have to deal with with our food now. Um, so when it comes to our bodies being able to break it down and digest it, it's very difficult. Now, gluten's the top dog, of course. Dairy's next dog in line. Mm -hmm. If I were to tell my family who are dairy farmers that dairy is a culprit to a lot of illnesses, or a piece of the system, piece of the puzzle when it comes to illnesses, ADD, ADHD, um, kids acting out, depression, blah, 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 list goes on and on. They would think I'm crazy because I got trained, even in my bachelor's degree, that dairy has calcium in it. And we need calcium for strong bones. True. But dairy has other culprits that are more powerful than the calcium you're going to get from it. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I found personally is if I have dairy in my diet, my asthma is crazy. Mm -hmm. And growing up, I would get pneumonia every, every winter and I would yeah. have asthma problems. I'd try to run on the track outside and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. By the mm -hmm. time I ran my 800, I couldn't breathe. It didn't matter how big, of, how much shape I was in. Now go back though for the last five years, I haven't, I hardly get sick. Mm -hmm. I don't have asthma anymore. And it's all because I took dairy out of my diet. Mm -hmm. So it's just, a, it's a key factor 
But on the other hand, people have gone to such extremes with food sensitivities that now there's the opposite problem. People right. don't eat hardly anything. And that creates a problem as well inside the gut. So right. there's there's a happy balance. And when it comes to kids specifically, if the entire family cuts it out, the child doesn't notice. Right. So gluten-free would be the first place to start. Right. And just do and it for 21 days. Like just just do it, do a trial run, a test run, and see how not only do mom and dad feel, but how are the kids acting at the same time? And then the second culprit would, like I said, it would be the dairy. If you can cut that out for 21 days and just give it a trial run, and you never know what will happen. And then the last but not least, I would say one of the things I always give to my three-year-old is a omega-3 supplement, a brain food supplement that I have from systemic formulas. But I, I swear that one, he's a smart kid, but two, he doesn't forget anything because I'm feeding his brain. Mm-hmm. healthy foods. That you know, I agree with you. And, and as I said about the aspartame, and I would add preservatives, dyes, another, I, I've worked with a lot of kids that had a lot of neurological issues, uh, ADD being one of them. This is not a cure-all for every child, but when you can get the kids off of the preservatives and the dyes and all of the artificial stuff, you really can see a difference. And I'm so glad that you mentioned about the gut because I'm sure as your listeners know, the gut is really the second brain. Yes. And so what happens in our gut, we, we have neurotransmitters in our gut and it's that communication between the gut and the brain that allow for a lot of these processes in terms of learning and behavior to happen. And so I just want to share with people before we even go on any further, this isn't like, oh, I'm doing it wrong. And we, in, in my family, my, son, another, my other son had some, some pretty serious issues for a couple of years. So we were pretty tight on the diet for a couple of years for, you know, gluten and preservatives and all of that. And now that they're 19, they're twins, you know, they know what they, you know, I've lightened up a lot. And we kind of go by the, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, that 80, 80, 20, 85, 15 rule. Yeah, I recommend the, majority, the same thing. Yeah, if the majority of what you can do is eat, are, is to eat whole foods and get rid of the junk, get you know, try to be organic. You mentioned about autism and, and I mentioned about the statistics and there's something also connected to the wheat called glyphosate. Mm-hmm. And it's part of the, the way that they treat the wheat in order to get more of it, like a pesticide. And her name has just escaped me, but there's a, a scientist at MIT who's really the, the leader in research in this. And her name is, start, it's an SS. Look it up, MIT glyphosate. And you will see that as the, and I'm not saying this is it. I don't want to be sued by the people who make this. But there is, if you look at it visually, you can think to yourself and ask yourself, is there a correlation as the amount of glyphosate goes up and the amount of neurological problems in children goes up, is there a correlation? So that's a question you can ask yourself. I also encourage parents, just Google foods high in glyphosate because you will see that they're foods that most of our kids are eating, Cheerios, uh, Ritz crackers, Cheez-It crackers, it's there. And so, you know, again, I'm not gonna tell you, get that out of your house right now, you know, don't ever let your child have any. You know, I try to look at things as the 80, 20, 85, 15 rule. And you know what? Just make it, we call it in our family, we call it a once in a while food, you know, or for something like that. call it a treat. A treat, a once in a while food, Mm -hmm. however you want to say it. The point is, 
to be aware and have moderation. The other things you mentioned about the omegas, I have seen kids completely get off of ADD medication just based on the omega fish oils that that they've been given. You know, check with check with Dr. Kylie about that. I'm not a doctor. I'm not here to say dosages or what kind or whatever, but you've got an expert uh, right here that can help you. But, you know, the main thing, the main message that I want to give today is when you observe or your te- your child's teacher says, you know, there's a problem here. You know, I think they're ADD or I think they're whatever. Stop and ask yourself, what's going on in my child's body? What's going on with my child's body? As I said, can they see? Can they hear? Is it a food allergy? Is it a food sensitivity? There are lots of blood work, blood tests that say, and Dr. Kylie, I'm sure is an expert on this, oh, there's no gluten allergy, but that doesn't mean that there's not a sensitivity. Would you agree with that, Dr. Kylie? For sure. And when it comes to food sensitivity testing, it sucks. It's mm-hmm. when you're going to get a food sensitivity test from your doctor, Mm-hmm. or even one of those that you see scrolling through Facebook on late Friday night, and you're like, hey, it's a $99 test, let's give it a shot. Um, in fact, there was one that I saw the other day, and I had the hardest time not commenting on it, but I just let it slide by, and I just want to comment. As a functional medicine doctor, I laugh at this stuff, mm-hmm. but good marketing geniuses. I never comment, though. That's just what runs through my head. So True. food sensitivity testing, when they're testing your foods, they are literally testing everything individually in the raw form. Exactly. So broccoli in the raw form by itself, cauliflower in the raw form by itself. When you put those exact foods inside the microwave, say to steam it, or one of our favorite ways is I throw on some olive oil or coconut oil or and throw on some spices, put it in the oven. When you cook those foods, the proteins change. Mm-hmm. So even though you came back with a positive food sensitivity test of broccoli, if that's only when you're eating broccoli in the raw form, that's not with ranch either, because when you combine it, it still changes. So it's literally so limited that when you cook foods, it changes. When you add them in the casseroles, it changes. Like I I had one lady, she had this immaculate garden. She loved gardening, but she wouldn't eat anything out of her garden, like regular vegetables, because it came up positive on her food sensitivity test. Mm. And then when you get when you talk about those foods intense sensitivity tests and people just cutting out, just trying to figure out what the heck's wrong and they're limiting their food supply so much, your gut needs variety. Mm-hmm. And if you're not giving a variety of fibers and vegetables and and all the good stuff, you're doing yourself harm, literally. Exactly, exactly. And you you know this that things change over time. You could be able to you know, eat a specific food without any problem. And later in life, maybe that changes or vice versa, you know, things always change, you know, and another thing that I think a lot of people um, don't think about is mold, you know, in, I don't, I last statistic I read is that 40% of the buildings minimally and homes in this country, I'm not talking about globally, but in this country have some form of mold. And mold by itself can create a lot of havoc neurologically. And again, it's it's just, you have to be a, a detective and you have to keep peeling that onion, if you will, to get to the layers. 
I will tell you, I don't have a, a, a statistic on this, but after you know 30 plus years and thousands and thousands of families that I've worked with, I would say, I don't want to throw a number out there because I, I, I'd have to go figure it out, but way more than 50, 60%, way more than that of the parents that I've worked with. I mean, if I had to throw a number, I'm going to say 75 to 80, just ballpark of the families that I've worked with that when we strategically went through a lot of the things that I'm saying here and even more things that we may not have time for today, their kids got better and they didn't need the, the, the medication. I'm not saying medication's bad, but a lot of times with medication, you end up getting secondary problems from side effects from long-term use. Would you yeah. agree with that as a, as for a sure. doctor? For sure. <laughs> side effects. You take one medication and you got to take two more for the side effects. Exactly. Exactly. And so again, you know, start with the ears, the eyes, start with looking at food allergies, starting with gluten um, that, you know, Dr. Kylie has some testing that she knows of. Um, take a look at the fine gold diet. Look at that video. Look it up. It's on the internet. Dr. Phil, um, you know, just put in the fine, Dr. Phil fine gold diet, F-E-I-N-G-O-L-D, and you'll find it and you'll see amazing things. The other thing, well, there are lots of other things, but the other thing that I, I really, really- Carrie, can I pause you real fast before we continue please, on? Please. I, I want to talk about this mold issue because as I live in the desert, I'm out in Utah. It is a desert and I didn't realize how big of a desert it was until I went to Oregon where it's like lush green all the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking there's there's no way we have mold here. It's It's a desert. We can't grow mold. Whereas in Oregon and Portland- I could see it growing on my car because it was so yeah. moist. Okay. So a lot of times and I've had, I've had kids, I've helped kids with this problem. They have these weird things come up in the spring. Mm -hmm. And, and I went to a, a conference one week for a week, one time in Chicago. I think it was two years ago. And I was talking to a doc, another doctor about this. And they're like, have you thought about mold? Cause in the springtime, all of the frozen stuff mm -hmm. on thaws. Yep. The leaves on the ground, unthaw, mold. The trees, unthaw. Like the ground itself, unthaws, mold. And then as my husband is a roofer and he goes around like all the houses, the, ho the standard procedure of roofing, a lot of companies will take shortcuts and they don't do the correct venting in your roof. So you, chances are, your house has mold too. Mm -hmm. And we didn't realize this until we started cutting down the trees in our yard last, I think it was last spring or last fall. And every single tree that we cut down, the inside was just solid mold mm -hmm. of all the trees. So it's there. Now, mm -hmm. if you want to get your house tested for mold, it's called the ERMI test. Mm -hmm. E-R-M-I. Um, Myco... Mycometrics, yeah, that's the lab that you should get it from. If you want to learn more, there's a podcast episode called Is Your Home Making You Sick? Mm -hmm. and I think it's episode 18 with um, Dr. Christine, or she's an NP, I should say. So that was, was remarkable. But definitely check out the diet first. That's a great, easy place to start. And then start looking around your home, especially if you're in an older home or if your kids are attending an older school. Exactly. That would be a big key factor too. Mm -hmm. uh, that's so, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I also live in the desert. I'm in the Phoenix area and, um, you know, we have our fair share of mold. In fact, 
when you do the mold testing, if you do it in your home, um, because there's a direct correlation, there can be a direct correlation between mold exposure, um, even if you're not allergic to it. One of my sons is very allergic. Every doctor that's ever seen his allergy testing for mold has said, whoa, that's the highest I've ever seen. But you don't have to be allergic to it to have neurological, uh, which can be learning or behavioral uh, outcomes. Really quickly, true story, we, the home that we live in now, there used to be an old home on, on this property. And we lived in the old home when we first moved in. My kids were little and we lived here until we were ready to, to rehab it. Well, very long story short, we ended up deciding to just take the house down because there were so many problems with it. We said, you know, it, it's kind of like the analogy of, okay, you can fix your bike for $80 or you can buy a new bike for $100. You know, it's, that's kind of where we were. Well, the builder, after we took it down, he said, and by the way, my one of my sons was having some, some autoimmune kind of issues, um, which is why we had him on a, a pretty strict diet for a couple of years. And he's, he's great now. We don't have any of those issues. But our builder said to us afterwards, it's a really, really, really good thing that you decided to do this and you didn't just build on top of the foundation. And I said, why? You're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. I'll preface it by telling you that this old home that we had purchased always had this, I call the old home smell. You know, no matter what I did, I couldn't get rid of it. I Clorox, the vents, I, you know, we ripped out the carpeting. I could not get rid of the smell. And I just thought, well, it's an old house. He told us that back in the day, I already knew this part, back in the day when they built this house, they had a water, some kind of a water pipe. I think it was part of the air conditioning system underneath the foundation and it had leaked. And guess what? Underneath the foundation of our home was mold, tons and tons of mold. So even if that test comes back negative, I'm not saying rip your house down, but, but always just be aware what could it be? What could it be? What could it be? What could it be? And I still believe that for the majority of kids, and I've worked with, you know, I've worked with kids with every label in the world. I've worked with kids that are on the far gifted, and I believe all children are gifted. It's just some are measured on a test, but kids that measured on that test, you know, in, in a very high way and kids that, you know, parents were told by their teachers, you know, they may not make it to junior high school. I have never, ever, ever had a child that didn't improve when we put all of these things into place. And when we looked at, okay, what, what are the pieces of the puzzle and how do we put them together? Because that's how the body works, the body and the yeah. brain. Your body and your brain want the right things that are going to be conducive to the highest level of function. I think too, a lot of with, instead of just focusing on the child, do it as the whole family and be amazed at, hey, moms, how are you going to feel? Mm -hmm. Is the energy going to come back that you're searching for instead right. of having to reach for that fast food late at night because you're tired? Right. Um, you'll be able to, one, have the energy, but two, everybody in the whole house will feel better. They'll perform better. They'll have greater success. And who doesn't feel happier when you see success in right. whatever way success comes? Exactly. And, you know, you mentioned about ADD earlier, and, and then I added a little bit to it. Um, if it's okay, I'd, I'd like to just add a little different bit to the conversation, um, if that's okay. Go but for it. Unless you want to talk about the mold a little bit more. One of the things, and there's tons of research about this, and it's one of my favorite things to talk about, is how we learn 
how we learn and this is this and how we learn and behave and in my years of being an international education consultant and teaching families and teaching educators about how the body and the brain learn this is what this is what i know and this is what i'd like to share in most schools i'm not you know every school is different every grade level is you know a little bit different in terms of expectations so i'm going to speak in very very general terms here because of the time in most schools, kids are expected to sit down at their desks and be quiet and do their work. That is not conducive to what we know about learning. We know that the greatest opportunity to learn is to incorporate movement into the learning. And I can give you a really quick statistic. If you just give somebody some information, just verbally, just here, you know, this is, you know, let's pretend that you and I didn't know anything about mold and someone was teaching us and they could say, uh, there are blah, blah, blah species of mold and you can find it, blah, 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 whatever. If they just told us, we would have about a 10% chance of really remembering that information and maybe being able to take it to the level of application. Maybe. Mm-hmm. If we're actually in the situation learning about it, that's episodic memory. We remember where we were, when we learned it, how we learned it. That goes up to about 68, 69%. But then if we take that and we incorporate movement into that, and I can give you an example, that level of mastery in terms of really understanding the information in a way that's easily retrieved to apply it goes up to about 98, 99%. And here's just a really quick example to give your listeners an idea of what I'm talking about. I wrote a math book years ago called It's Not About Math, It's About Life. And the reason I wrote it was I was the worst most horrible math student that ever walked the planet. I hated it, I didn't understand it, I didn't know why we had to learn it, and my life would have just been better without it. Well, I couldn't figure out why I didn't understand it. And I I was this really good student with reading and writing and everything else, but math was like this big dark hole. And as I went through college and began teaching, I thought, you know, I can't pass this on to my students. I have to figure out why, why did I have such trouble? And part, there are two reasons. Part of it was that I was doing so well in reading and writing that they skipped me, they took me from preschool to first grade. So I never had that, that kindergarten year, which was fine in terms of reading and writing and everything else. But it was devastating in the sense that conceptually, the part parts of my brain that deal with conceptual mathematics and spatial abilities was not as developed. And so stuff was being thrown at me that my brain was going, I have no idea what you're talking about. It doesn't mean a person's stupid. It means they're not ready. They're not developmentally at that same level. That's another thing we have to look at. Instead of saying to a child or to a parent of a child, well, your kid's not at grade level or your kid's not at this. Well, okay, that may be true, but why? What can we do to to make a shortcut, if you will, in terms of movement and experiences? Anyway, so here's an example of how to put movement into a very simple math concept that is people start to teach maybe third grade. I'm being very general. On every standardized test, probably from third grade on, children are asked to identify angles. You know, what's a right angle? What's an obtuse angle? What's an acute angle? Would would you agree with that? That, you know, something we had all all through. Yeah. Well, guess what? There are kids, I have a, a, a woman in my group who's actually a grandma and she's, um, the caretaker of her 
grandchildren. And that's why she's in our group. She said, I, I want to know how to, what to do. I don't want to just rely on things that I did a long time ago. And I, I want to do the best for my grandkids. Well, she's a retired math professor, college professor. And she said, I have, I had students in my college classes that still didn't know the difference between different angles or, you know, basic facts, things like that. So just because it's taught doesn't mean it's going to be learned. Yeah. The first thing about the brain is the brain wants to know, when do I have to use this? When do I have to learn? You know, when am I going to use this in my real life? Having movement, though, helps you remember. So here's the thing really quickly. We're going to put, put, put it in our hands. And so if you want to teach a right angle, right on. It's a 90 degree angle. Right on. Go say to your neighbor, right on, right on. In your family, have a right on day. Right on, right on, right on to the dog. You know, that will help you remember. Then go on a search. For where are all the right angles in our home? Where are all the right angles in your bedroom? You can talk about it. You can make a book out of it. You can make a collage out of it. Guess what? That child will never forget what a right angle is. And then you can do mm -hmm. the same thing with, this is my cute angle. It's so little. It's so cute. Isn't it cute? Less than 90 degrees. It's an acute angle. I mean, you can say anything you want. The idea is put it in your muscle memory, put it in your body, and then look at it in your real life. You can do this with any subject area. You can do it with um, any concept that you're learning. Then go on a hunt another day and look for all the acute angles in your life, in your home, in your yard. And then you can do the same with obtuse. Hey, hang loose obtuse, greater than 90 degrees. Now, you might say, well, the thing I'm learning, there's no way to you know, do that with my hands. You can make it up. As long as the child knows that's what that represents. It's like riding a bicycle. It's that muscle memory. Yeah, that's, I'm just thinking of when I was in school, in medical school, by the time I got to medical school, I never had to study. School just always came easy. High school, undergrad, I mean, I would be the straight A student that everybody hated. <laughs> but when I got to medical school, it's like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to study. Mm -hmm. And that first trimester, that first quarter, mm -hmm. I almost failed out of it. In fact, the very first class I had in medical school, I failed. Mm -hmm. And it was like the biggest shock to me where, because I had to literally learn how to study. And so over the course of the next year, I figured out if I could review the material in three ways. Now, granted, our quarters were intense. We we would average 30 to 35 credits per quarter. And Whoa. it was just a matter of, can you survive? They were shoved, like so much information was just being shoved in your head. And if you spit fire it back out in three weeks, literally our finals week, I remember an undergrad and I still laugh because sometimes my cousins will be like, oh, I have finals. I have four tests this week. I'm like, four tests? Girl, I took 22 tests all the time in four days. Four tests is nothing yeah. to me. But, yeah, we all have to get into that level. But I had I found that if I could learn, if I could cover the material in three different ways, I could learn it. And one of enough to spit it back out, right? One of those ways was movement. I would actually, when my husband and I would go to the gym, I would work out for my 30 or 45 minutes and he wanted to be there for two hours lifting and so I just go get on the treadmill and I would walk mm -hmm. and I would read it out loud so I could not only see it, process mm -hmm. it through my brain and hear it and then say my, use my word mouth too. 
and I'm walking. So that would be like the top cherry on the cake. And I knew if I could get that in, I would be ready for the test. Yes. And that's so smart of you. And, you know, speaking of that, and, and again, the movement and, and diet and allergies, it, it, I mean, it's, it's not, it might be one thing, but you have to look at the whole picture and the whole picture is exactly what you just said. It's about processing. And one of the things that we know from Dr. Howard Gardner from Harvard University, and he's the one that, that really taught us about the multiple intelligences. And what he taught us is that that our brains have, our brains and our bodies have at least eight different ways of processing information, of taking it in and processing it. Actually, we, we have we take it in through all of our senses and then how we process it, whether it's verbal linguistically, which is what part of what you just said, logical, mathematical, bodily, kinesthetically, musical, which we talked about in terms of, you know, a rhyme patterns, putting it in a song. You talked about your book, looking at inter or intrapersonal, and then also looking at the, the natural intelligence in terms of you know, really having a great understanding for the environment. It doesn't necessarily have to be outside, just the paying attention and learning from the environment. And so the point I made earlier about school is that so many kids get labeled because school isn't presented in a way that is beneficial for the way they learn now can you you know if you've got a class of 30 things you know 30 kids can you do 30 things you know differently for each one of them of course not but if you if if there is a balanced way of presenting and this is just a small part of it of what I just talked about a small way of saying not small way but multiple ways of allowing children to show you what they know pretty soon those kids that had all of these labels the labels go away. The labels fade away because the child can learn and you empower the child by saying, this is what I, this is what I know about how I learn. This is what I need. And you've got something to be taught. And those things can change over time. Right. I think I, you know, my, my mom's an educator. She teaches teachers how to teach now. And she was telling us the other day that she has this major problem with a dad who received a test scores back from his daughter and it was not okay with him. Mm-hmm. And he went ballistic over these test scores saying how inaccurate the test was. And it, I mean, it was a state test, mm-hmm. but we don't need to get into all the details. But the fact is, is that all of us in my family are like, well, stop pointing the finger at the teacher at school. She's got 30 kids. Point the finger back at yourself. Because the kids go to school, they've got 30 kids, they come home at three o'clock in the afternoon, you still have five hours with them before they go to bed, if they go to bed at eight, take that time to take their learning, and whatever they learned in that moment of school that day, and apply it in a different way, solidify it in their brain with that movement, take that responsibility on ourselves as parents, it's not our teacher's job to teach kids everything that they need to know. I'm probably speaking for thousands and thousands of teachers across the board here. Parents have a responsibility to emphasize the learning that's taking place at home in or at school in the home. And one of the ways they can do this is to be creative. Like you said, I would have never thought, hey, go around the room and find right or right angles or, you know, just apply it in the home. So then they go to take the test and it's like, they don't even need to study because it's there. 
Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, you, you just brought up some really good, good points that I, I'd like to throw in there as well. I, you know, the name of this, this talk today is about learning, you know, the effective diet and health on learning and behavior. And there's another aspect that is really detrimental to so many children. And I think sometimes I've worked with a lot of families and I think the children or the parents sometimes felt that they didn't have control over this. And that is the amount of time spent in front of a screen. Yeah. Kids, and I'm speaking obviously in general, very general terms again, it, you know, different ages might do more than, than others. But I can remember when my kids were in middle school and they ended up getting phones in middle school because they played baseball and I, I wanted to put it off even more, but the office was closed by the time their baseball practice was finished and they needed a way to call me to say, it's time to, you know, come pick me up. And Baseball's so, a good sport. I'm sorry? Baseball's a good sport. Yes, well, they loved it. They're both golfers now. They're both playing for their colleges. So that's awesome. But they, they still love, you know, a lot of sports. But the point I was making, and I say this without judgment in terms of parenting, please, please know that it's about the health. When they were younger, I, you know, when they went to bed, their phones would go in. And I wasn't ever paying attention to them if they turned on or turned off. Well, sometimes I would be in the kitchen for whatever reason at one o'clock in the morning and their friends were on their phones sending them messages. And so the reason I share that is that sleep is so critical to a functioning brain and being able to think and looking at things that we sometimes call ADD or ADHD. If the child isn't getting enough sleep, again, it goes back to the body. If a child is spending a lot of time on a video game, let me share with you what you're doing. If they're spending hours and hours, many days a week on a video game, they are wiring their brains differently. They are wiring their brains for that automatic instant gratification, which is not the same kind of learning that they're going to get in school. And sometimes even in real life, learning takes time. So screen time, and um, I'm, I, I've never said no screen time. We, we used to have a few days a week where we didn't have any when they were younger, and now they self-monitor. And it's not about, no, you can't do that. It's about teaching the kids, you know what, when you're on the screens for that long, this is what happens to your brain and your body. And so how can we work together to self-monitor so that you can self-monitor, you know, and I've worked with families where there were kids six, seven years old and said, mom, I'm self-monitoring because they understood that. And they knew that there were limits, you know, just because you like ice cream doesn't mean you're going to sit there and eat 10 bowls of it for the next hour. You know, it's all about balance. Yeah. And they're getting so much screen time at school now, too. Because well, so much of schools <laughs> performed on two screens outside of Zoom and the whole crap going on. But because I know like the schools around here, they all have iPads in the rooms and they're being taught on projectors or computer screens or I mean, it's all such a huge key component during the school day. Then they come home and they sit in their butts in front of the TV because mom and dad are busy doing blah, blah, blah. I know in my household, I go and get my kids at 4.30 and it's it's way easier to let the three-year-old hang out and sit in front of the TV, especially if I have another hour of work I got to do. But last night he got some Legos for Christmas, this past Christmas. And I, and I didn't know how much he would love Legos, but he loves Legos. Awesome. So last night him and his dad went and bought more Legos because they built everything they can build with what they had. And I'm totally cool with spending 150 bucks on Legos when I know that every night for two hours, they're going to sit down and build Legos. Yeah. When instead of doing other 
things. Just finding what your child likes Mm -hmm. and encouraging it outside of screen time. Exactly. And you know what, if, if you can't, you know, if a family can't afford the Legos, you know, for young children, I mean, go find a big box, you know, an empty box and let your kids decorate it and cut out a little, you know, a little house and little doors and windows and, you know, and have that creative play, just like you're talking about the Legos, you know, it doesn't have to be something that costs a lot of money if you, if you can't do that, or you choose not to spend your money that way. So, but you're absolutely right. It's about the quality of the, the time. Well, Carrie, we better finish up here because you and I could have a conversation in regards forever for all about We'll have a five-hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well. So, ladies, if mamas, daddies, if you want to go learn more, um, yes. Carrie has a group that you'd feel great, be grateful for you to join. So, Carrie, tell us a little bit about what you're doing inside your group and where they can learn more. Sure. Thank you for the opportunity. My website is carriekling.com. And my group, uh, if you want to look at uh, the tab that says, let's work together, it's uh, the, the group is VIPs, very important parents. And I think all parents are very important. But the reason I named it that was when I was doing some research before I began the group and I talked with parents who had already raised their kids. And I said, what, what is it that you wish you would have had when your kids were growing up? And I had several parents say to me, you know, I never felt that my role as a parent when my kids were growing up was very important. I just didn't feel like I had a very important role. So many parents were, you know, working in the corporate world or this or that. And so that's why I named it that. Um, I also do one-to-one coaching and that's on there as well. You can just look me up on uh, Facebook at CarrieKling.Parenting. Also on Instagram, CarrieKling.Parenting. You can send me a direct message. You can call me. My phone number is on my website on the contact page. But I... This is my passion. Uh, Now that my children are in college and I have more time, um, this is my passion. Our our VIP group, we meet once a week. Not everybody can be there live, so I record it and send it to them. We have uh, nationally and internationally known guest speakers once a month, guest experts. We talk about all of the things that we're talking about here today and so many more things regarding positive relationships within the family, Uh, learning, uh, just enrichment, kids that are having difficulty. It's a very, very, very wide range. And um, you can also send me an email at carrie at carriekling.com. I'm easy to find. Like I said, my Facebook is, uh, I'm sorry, Kylie, Dr. Kylie, it's it's at carriekling.parenting, if I could ask you to yeah, because there's actually somebody else. So it's at carriekling.parenting if you'd like to, to go ahead and find me. I usually, are, uh, I just closed our registration for our VIP online group. But if you would like to be a part of it and you would even like to come as a guest for one time to see what it's all about, I would love to have you. Just send me a DM and let me know that uh, you heard me talking about this on Dr. Kylie's podcast. And I'll go ahead and uh, extend the registration for you. So cool, guys. Carrie is amazing. We're just getting to know each other, what each other has to offer. And definitely check out the VIP group. Um, I'm sure I'll be joining. We talked about me joining that group here in the next little while. So put your family, give your family an opportunity to soar, especially those kids. And you have a major important part of their life. Check out Carrie Clean with two Ks dot com and facebook instagram at perryclean.parenting where you can find more information there and reach out to her 
So share this episode with your friends, guys, because we're all in this together. We all have kids that we want to see successful. And if we can help them be successful, let's do it. Dr. Carly, I just want to say once again, thank you for your dedication to families and the podcast that you're doing, all the different topics and the gifts that you are giving the world. And I'm just honored to to be a part of it with this podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us and sharing all the wealth of information you have from the last 30 years of experience. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Carrie. After recording this, I realized that you might not know where to start. So let me give you three places where I would start and I would imagine Carrie would agree with me. First is healthy fats. Gotta have healthy fats in kids. Whether you cook with avocado oil, you eat salmon, whatever source it may be, healthy fats as much as possible. If you need a supplement, brainy play. That's what I give to my child who's three. Step number two, breakfast. Breakfast is by far the most important meal of the day. You're setting your child either up for success or for failure, depending on what you feed them for breakfast. In my house, we rarely have cereal. In fact, the only cereal we really have in the pantry is Rice Krispies because we like to make Rice Krispie treats on occasion. And my three-year-old calls it Superman cereal because Superman was on the box at one time. So cereal is probably the last option. The best breakfast you can give your kids has a lot of protein and fat in it. So if you're a smoothie maker, grab some Catabo shake, throw in a scoop of that, and that is loaded with fats. So focus on breakfast number two. And then number three, maybe gluten-free, dairy-free. But feed the brain with omegas and healthy fats first. Give them a strong breakfast, see how that does, and then take the next step. Cut out gluten for 21 days in the entire family and just see how you all feel and how you all respond to each other. Those would be my three steps to start with. I'm sure Carrie would agree with you. And don't forget to share this episode with your friends. We're all parents. We all want our kids to be successful. And if we can find a way to remove those interference, those toxins, that mold, the food sensitivities, the dyes, whatever it may be for your child, let's help each other out. Share this with your friends, your family, your loved ones, so we can all have successful kids because that's what every parent wants. Remember, mamas, March 15th, let's help you transform your health so you have the energy and the power and the motivation to help your kids be successful and transform their health if they need it. I will see you inside the 21-day boot camp that's right for you. The links to join us are in the comments below. March 15th is our start date, 21 days. That's it. Come join and begin your transformation.